Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode, I will be talking about AEW Dynamite that aired on June 3rd, 2020. I appreciate everyone coming over from the AEW Dark discussion and review that aired on June 2nd. I appreciate you guys wanting to hear the rest of the review. I thought by chopping it into smaller portions, it would be better for your listening and better for your attention span. So thank you for being here with me now. Again, I want to thank all of my Twitter supporters. Every single retweet, love, and comments are greatly appreciated. And I love to interact with you guys and talk about professional wrestling. Professional wrestling unites us all. It brings us all together. And I am here to support positive professional wrestling while giving some tips and tricks on how to improve the business, how to improve your character, how to improve psychology, how to improve your promos, and how to make you the best wrestler that you can be or the best fan that you can be. I enjoy professional wrestling so much. It is my life. It is my passion. I made it to WWE, and now I'm here doing podcasts to share my knowledge of professional wrestling and just my overall love for it. And I hope that you guys can definitely support that. And if you do support that and want to see me succeed, want to see the both of us succeed, because without you, there won't be no Square Circle Podcast. Just do a couple quick, simple, amazing things by signing up to the Squared Circle Podcast newsletter over on Substack. Substack allows me to put out newsletters every so often about professional wrestling. You will not get bombarded in your email about the multiple newsletters that I will be publishing throughout the week. You guys will get a newsletter wrap up of all the writing articles that I've done, all the audio for the podcast that I've done, and also any type of video that I've done that you can see on YouTube. The newsletter is meant to keep us together as a community. It's meant to keep you updated with any type of notifications regarding the Square Circle podcast. So if you have not signed up to the newsletter to go on this joyous wrestling adventure with me, please do so now. Head over to squaredcirclepodcast.substack.com. All right, guys, let's jump right into AEW Dynamite. I love the fact that the fans around the ring are all animated and they're all lively. And then we have Britt Baker in her Rolls Royce. I love the fact that they're playing on the words of Roll. R-O-L-E and then R-O-L-L and then just making it over the top. I enjoy Britt Baker as a heel. I enjoy what she's doing, who she has involved in her little segments, all about her knee and her recovery. Everything that AEW is doing with Britt Baker is amazing and it's fun to watch and it's fun to see where it's going to go. So that was the opening shot of AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with a fantastic, fast-paced tag team action for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc are an amazing tag team together, and I enjoy watching them on AEW programming. They are the challengers. They face... Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega, who are still your AEW World Heavyweight Champions. 
And this is how the match went. Kenny and Havoc starting off, headlocks to Havoc, double fists and elbow strikes to Kenny from Havoc. Kenny followed Havoc with a knee. Penelope decides to get in and grab Kenny's leg. That allows Havoc to do an elbow strike to Kenny. There is a flapjack from Havoc to Kenny. Jimmy and Kip Sabian are tagging in and out and they're working on Kenny's arm. Kenny counters Havoc with a twisting suplex. Kenny then tagged in Hangman. Hangman came in with an explosive offense to both Havoc and Jimmy. Then Kenny tags himself in. Double hammer fist to Havoc's side because Hangman and Page exposed Jimmy Havoc's side to Kenny when Kenny tagged in. Both Kenny and Hangman give chops to Havoc. Havoc and Kenny toss Kip overhead. Ford tried to do a hurricanrana on Hangman. The referee, Rick Knox, sees this. Hangman is there asking Rick Knox, what shall he do? Rick Knox basically says to drop her. He drops her. He has his hands up. He's backing away. Rick Knox ejects her from the match. Havoc comes into the ring with a wrench and hits Hangman and Kenny. Havoc decides to cover Hangman, but Hangman kicks out. Kip drop kicks Hangman out of the ring. There are constant tags between Havoc and Kip, like I said earlier. Hangman tries to get in some offense in, but the double tag team of Havoc and Jimmy is way too much until Hangman finds an opening. He rolls through and tags Kenny for Kenny to come in. At one point during the match, Kenny does another you can't escape to Havoc, then a backstabber to Kip because Kip is in the corner at the moment. There is a near fall count. And this is where things start to pick up with Hangman and Omega doing some tag team combos. Double boots, double kicks, big boots, the Kataro Crusher, and then a running shooting star press onto Kip for a near fall. Hangman stops Havoc from using a hacksaw. There is a fallaway slam to Kip up and over to Havoc. There's a clothesline, then a near fall again. Havoc comes up to break the pin. That's why we get the near fall. There is a swinging DDT by Kip to Kenny. There's a jumping European uppercut to Kenny from Havoc, which, by the way, did anyone catch that? What Havoc said to Kenny when he did the jumping European uppercut? He basically said, sure, you can, to Kenny. I thought that was a nice little tidbit. Thought you guys probably would have caught that. Havoc has Kenny on his shoulders, does a Death Valley driver into Hangman. There is a diving stomp to Kenny from Kip. Havoc, jumping DDT, swing, sing the sorrow. Hangman breaks up the pin. Reverse her Karana from Kip to Kenny. Kenny does his snapdragon suplex to Havoc. And then a V-trigger to Kip. There is a powerbomb and knee combo to Kip. The last call on Havoc, which is a lariat V-trigger. This allows Hangman and Kenny to pick up the victory and still retain their AEW World Tag Team Championships. Our next match is Brian Cage versus Sean Dean. This was a straight-up squash match. I understand that they have to put over Brian Cage, and I understand that Brian Cage is a big guy. He is a machine, as said by Taz. I love the fact that Taz is managing Brian Cage, and it makes everything that much special and interesting. And this is the same concept of what they were doing with Lance Archer. When Lance Archer came in, he's a big guy. 
He kills everybody. He killed almost the whole roster, given the pandemic that we're currently in. So not everybody on the roster could come in and fight Lance Archer. So they have to do the same thing with Brian Cage to build up the fact that he is a destroyer. He's a machine. Nobody could stand in his way and stuff like that. So I get it why we have these squash matches and I get it why we have these jobber matches, but it really doesn't do anything. If you really want people to turn heads at the big guy with the big muscles and the big personality of intimidation, you have them fight against somebody that can either equally take them on or 80% take them on and tell the story of that to play up the story of that he could still beat the best of the best. So in this match, it was completely one-sided and this is how it went. Belly to belly overhead release, destroying Sean Dean, dominating quick, fast, suplex, high impact off the ropes, buckle bomb, and then Brian Cage does the drill claw to Sean Dean to pick up the win. Brian Cage is the winner of that. Taz is very underrated on the mic. No one gives him enough credit. And I just thoroughly enjoy listening to when Taz talks. Taz has a lot of knowledge and information that these young guys could definitely pick up and want to learn. If I was under Taz's guidance, I would be picking his brain every single chance I got. Like, that's not me joking around. If he had some advice to give me for this podcast, I would definitely listen and try to incorporate it into the podcast to the best of my ability because I am the only person that produces this podcast. I do not have a team backing me. I have all my wonderful supporters out there in Twitterverse, in the wrestling community and stuff like that. But other than that, if Taz is talking, you know you have to listen. And then Moxley comes out to challenge Taz's promo. And whenever Moxley has a live microphone, it is gold. It glimpses you into another shard of his life and his uh, way of thinking when it comes to building up matches. I like the fact that he uses reality in his matches to make him human by mentioning that he knows he's not, he knows that he's defeatable. He knows that he's defeatable and he's not going to put up a front to say that he can't be beaten. He's like everyone else. He's straight up human. You know, there are days where wrestlers have really good days and really bad days. It just depends. But I do like the fact that Moxley puts in a little bit of reality into his promos to make it that much more relatable to him. We all have our off days. We all have our good days. It just depends on when you catch them, right? After that, we get a short little outside vignette of Lance Archer again beating up the smaller guys, but this time is a little bit different. Archer suffered his first loss in AEW. He lost to Cody Rhodes. He did not gain the TNT Championship title from Cody Rhodes at double or nothing. So. Archer says that one loss doesn't matter to him. However, his actions are a totally different case. And this is the first time that you see in the eyes of Jake the Snake Roberts that he's a little worried, that he may not be able to control his client. And when you can't control someone who is the murder hawk, 
there's a little cause for caution and rethinking your strategy on how to present this monster and how to get him back into the zen that he was before losing to Cody. So that development is going to be playing out very interesting throughout the coming weeks and months. We get another vignette of Matt Hardy and Private Party. Matt Hardy is in his regular vessel. He is not playing Damascus at this point. He came up to Private Party and he asked if Mark Quinn is okay because Mark Quinn had tweaked his knee. Luckily, he's fine. He's able to compete. He's able to still be Private Party. Matt Hardy offers his guidance to Private Party, anything that they want to know. He'll be there. He'll help them out. Matt Hardy is all about giving back to the wrestling family, to the wrestling community for everything that we've done for him. And I do like the sound of um, Hardy Party. That's going to catch on. So I really enjoyed that. And then Matt leaves Private Party. He sees Sammy in the hallway. And he lets Sammy know that, hey, we're cool. And I don't know if Sammy's going to trust that, but there's a lot of interesting developing stories between Matt Hardy and everybody in AEW. I love the fact that Matt Hardy has all this creative genius allowed to take place on TV, that he's able to have multiple feuds with multiple people with, in his multiple personalities. So Damascus is a 300-year-old entity that has seen all over the world, experienced stuff, met Abraham Lincoln, met Benjamin Franklin, and just has a lot of awesome stuff. I consider it awesome stuff. And then he'll change into V1 Hardy and be regular Matt Hardy to people and start feuds that way. It's just a really nice, different take from anything else. And it's very well done. It's very well thought out. And then we get a commercial about letting us know about Fryder Fest, which is their summer pay-per-view. Fryder Fest is going to be a two-week event, July 1st, July 8th. I also believe I heard that every title is going to be on the line and that Fryder Fest is free to watch. I honestly going to say here on the podcast, I don't like the title of Fryder Fest. I don't know who came up with that. I would like to know the story behind who came up with the name. I just don't like it. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not like Revolution, Double or Nothing, All In, All Out. And then you have Fryder Fest. What? Maybe they were trying to go for like a Six Flags Great Adventures type of feel. Because that's what I think. But I don't know if you guys feel a certain type of way or don't feel a certain type of way about the title of Fighter Fest. You guys can definitely leave your comments on the squarecirclepodcast.substack.com newsletter or on Anchor. You guys could definitely leave me a voice message on Anchor as well. Now we get to Carl Cabana versus Chris Jericho. I honestly thought this was going to be the main event, but it definitely was not the main event. I enjoy Carl Cabana. He is a very amazing talent, very unorthodox. And yes, I have notes for this because I remember in the last time I mentioned that I don't know how I'm going to take notes about writing Carl Cabana's moves and stuff because he's very unorthodox. But I have some notes for this match. 
I do want to mention that whenever Jericho comes out, we all sing his theme song. Sammy sings his theme song, and Sammy always gets the lyrics wrong. Sammy's been with the Inner Circle for a good while. How do you fuck up on the lyrics every single time? But you know what? Every time that Sammy sings Judas, it puts a smile to my face because I know that he's a kid being a kid, having fun with it. And I wonder if Jericho's ever going to tell him to shut up, that he's ruining his song. But um, Jericho, I don't know how long Jericho is going to be able to keep a straight face whenever Sammy Guevara sings Judas. Here are my notes. There are strikes between Colt and Jericho. Jericho taunting Mike Tyson with punches to Colt. This is because Jericho is having a celebration in the ring, a pep rally and the one thing that he wants above all else is mike tyson's head on the platter so the only reason why chris jericho wants mike tyson's head on on a platter is because they are reviving a short angle that happened in wwe in 2010 in 2010 mike tyson knocks out chris jericho jericho has been remembering that for the past 10 years so Jericho wants revenge, and this is why he wants Mike Tyson. This is why he's punching Cole Cabana in this one-on-one match as if he is a boxer to just taunt Mike Tyson. Cole decides to chop Chris Jericho. Cabana does a moonsault to Jake Hager and Jericho, who are on the outside. There is a running back elbow to Colt. Colt counters the running bulldog. Jericho and Colt punching and chopping. Cabana with a clothesline. Cabana does the bionic elbow to Jericho. Flying apple to Jericho, which is just a butt bomb. Middle rope splash, which ends up being a near fall. Colt goes for the Superman pin. However, Jericho reverses that into the lion tamer. Cabana goes for a rope break. There's a head scissors from Cabana to Jericho. Another clothesline, an avalanche Frankenstein to Jericho. All gets near falls. Then some more chain wrestling. Then Jericho comes out with the Judas effect, which is just a warring elbow to Cabana. And this allows Jericho to pick up the victory. One, two, three. Jericho grabs the mic and says that he wants Mike Tyson and that he wants Mike Tyson to come out now. And, you know, he's the baddest man on the planet. But Orange Cassidy decides to come out and commentary plays it up that, yes, he is the baddest man on the planet, meaning Orange Cassidy. So Orange Cassidy decides to put Jericho's hands in his pockets. Hager and Jericho attack Orange Cassidy, but then Orange Cassidy escapes. Santana and Ortiz come out a little too late just to help with Jericho and beating up Orange Cassidy. Then we get a bridge montage to her recovery, which was really well done. We get a women's match. It is Big Swole versus Nyla Rose. For some reason, I know during this podcast, I've complained about the women of AEW. I'm going to say it again on this podcast. AEW has one of the strongest foundations for their women roster. Every single woman on the roster is great in their own way, and they add something to the women roster as a whole. They definitely work well together. They definitely do have their off days and their good days. And then they have matches that feel very, very fight-like. And I enjoyed Big Swell versus Nyla Rose. And here are my notes. 
There's some chain wrestling to start us with. Big Swole does a roll up on Nyla, then an abdominal stretch on Nyla with the elbow to the rib cage. I have not seen that in a very long time. So I'm happy that Swole brought it back and applied it on Nyla. Nyla does a hip toss. Nyla sweeps Swole off of the ring apron, drives Swole into the apron again. There's a backbreaker stretch. Swole got the knees up for Nyla's splash. Strikes on Nyla. Nyla is staggered at this point. Then there is a cutter to Nyla from Swole. There's a lot of counter and counters. There's a big kick by Swole to Nyla. There's a chop block from Swole to Nyla. Big knee to Nyla's back. Nyla speared Big Swole. There is a roll through from Swole, which happens to have her get the near fall. Then a spine buster to Swole to counter Dirty Dancing. Picks up the victory. One, two, three. Nyla Rose wins this women's match. Big Swole is now interviewed by Tony Schiavone. Britt comes and starts talking shit to Swole and her helper, Reba, which is Rebel, reverses the car so that way Britt could come a little bit closer. Swole means business and Britt runs away when Big Swole tries to swing a chair at her. Next, we get the FTR interview. The whole wrestling world is buzzing about FTR, which is formerly known as The Revival over on WWE. We know them as Dash and Wilder, but they go by Hardwood and Cash. So during this interview, I wrote down some interesting uh, hot takes, if you want to call them, from FTR. FTR mentions that FTR versus the Young Bucks is not a dream match to them. You know, for years, ever since um, Being the Elite, they started the whole bit of Fuck the Revival. I don't know if I ever wanted it to be the dream match that has to be must-see. I would like to see the Young Bucks versus FTR. I would. I don't know if I would consider it to be a dream match just because the build-up was one-sided and WWE completely fucked up the Revival. Despite the Revival winning many championships in NXT and some other championships that got mentioned over on the internet, I don't know if I ever thought that it would come down to this being a dream match. Like I said, I would love to see them fight, but dream match status, I am not sure. Both teams are great, respectively. FTR is one phenomenal team, and I do enjoy watching them wrestle, but because they were not on TV for so long, I sort of forgot their style and might have to go back and watch some stuff. Another interesting thing that they mentioned was that they want to fight Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega because they hold the AEW World Tag Team Champions chips. And you can't fault them for that because it makes sense to go after the champions because you essentially want to hold the gold in a wrestling company rather than trying to go after the guys who made you a meme and made you a bit on their show. So while they're having this interview, the Blade and the Butcher decides to intervene and start some trouble. And we get word that this coming Wednesday, it is going to be FTR versus the Blade and the Butcher. Now we come to the main event of AEW Dynamite, 
that aired on June 3rd, 2020. It is the open challenge for the TNT championship title. Cody versus Jungle Boy. This was a very great match. I don't understand why the wrestling community even has to say that Jungle Boy got buried. Jungle Boy did not get buried. Jungle Boy put in a lot of offense and even got near falls over on Cody. And all it takes is just a quick three seconds to win the match and become a new champion. The way that a wrestler becomes a jobber is if they don't get any offense in and they're just there to take the bumps and to be made as a rag doll. Jungle Boy has a lot of potential. Jungle Boy has a lot of talent. Jungle Boy is the best young athlete there is. He has a bright future ahead of him, and he is young. He's still growing. He has four years of experience. I don't know when his wrestling anniversary is, but it's soon going to probably be five years of experience under his belt. But he has a lot more to grow. He has a lot more stories to do. If we do happen to put a belt on him, let's hope that nothing falls through. Let's hope that he's able to carry the the company and the image of it. But then again, having Cody lose it so soon, that wouldn't do anybody any good at all. The image would probably be less than spectacular. Who knows? Maybe if Cody keeps the belt on for a little while longer, we'll get a rematch. Maybe it'll come full circle. Maybe they'll give the belt to Jungle Boy sometime later but not soon this match proves that jungle boy can hang with the best he already fought cody he already fought jericho and he's building up his resume so let him build up his resume don't say that jungle boy got buried in this match jungle boy didn't get buried jungle boy looked like a million bucks plain and simple this match starts off with some amateur wrestling from cody onto jungle boy jungle boy got to the rope so a rope break had to happen there is a step up Harukarana. Quick covers to Cody. There's chops and forearms to Jungle Boy. And then Cody does some more wrist control on Jungle Boy. There's an Irish whip. Jungle Boy slides under Cody. Cody catches and press slams Jungle Boy onto the mat. Both Cody and Jungle Boy know each other so well that the countering expectation is very high here in this match. It is a very high-profile match. That is what you get when Cody Rhodes always have matches, especially ones that mean a lot to him and mean a lot to the business. Cody starts kicking Jungle Boy's hamstring, applies a figure four to Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy forces the rope break. Jungle Boy does a DDT to Cody from the ropes, does a tope suicida. Cody catches Jungle Boy, throws him into the gun club. Then Cody hits Jungle Boy with one headbutt and misses the other. Therefore, Cody slams his head into the wall that's right next to the stairs. Jungle Boy turns his attention to MJF, who's in the crowd. Jungle Boy and MJF start talking shit to each other. MJF tells him that he should be focusing on Cody, that also that Jungle Boy doesn't deserve to be in this spot. MJF deserves to be in the spot. And then Jungle Boy comes back and yells at MJF saying, hey, how's your chest? That infuriates MJF and MJF starts taking off his jacket. And then we get to the camera panning over and Cody Rose is bleeding. I am going to stop it there for a second uh, and then come back to the match in my notes. I want to make this perfectly clear on the podcast. 
Cody Rhodes needs to stop bleeding. Cody Rhodes needs to stop bleeding for every single match that he has. Now, I know it's not every single match, but it feels like every single match. You don't need blood to intensify the story. This isn't back in the day where it was needed and people took wrestling as gold. In today's world of professional wrestling, the fans that call themselves wrestling fans break it down so that way you can lose happiness is something that you enjoy. So the fans already know how bleeding works. It doesn't help that um, being the elite, Matt Hardy explains insider terms, which are very educational and very fun to listen to. But the idea that Cody needs to bleed every single time is annoying. It doesn't do anything to the match. It doesn't improve the psychology. It's just, oh, look, there's an open wound. Let me attack the open wound. Let me try to get the one up, you know, but it just doesn't add anything because it's constantly done. The more that something is done, the less value it has. Therefore, it doesn't matter anymore. I just wish that Cody could just have a regular clean match. You know, I get it. He's passionate. He loves the business. And I guess if you bleed, it equals that you love the business and you love defending the TNT championship even more. But in reality, that doesn't help nobody. Just because you can say that the story of the match is you're never going to give up and that you have the fighting spirit and look at me bleed, like, that's played out. Stop doing things that are played out. You don't have to bleed for the sake of the match. You don't. Now, if you naturally got busted open rather than taking a blade or popping a blood packet, you know, to be on the safe side, but if you naturally got busted open because you forgot to shield yourself as you're running into the pole or the steps or something with a sharp angle. That's a whole nother story. I'm not saying to do that, to do that either, but if you have to bleed for the sake of the match, just stop. I don't find any sadness or any joy in when someone decides to bleed. It's like, Okay, cool. You're you're bleeding. I mean, let's put a bandaid on it, you know, let's get the blood out of your eyes or whatever. But, you know, I just don't see any value in having Cody bleed all the time when he has a match. I don't. And again, if you guys disagree with me or want to add on to it or want to teach me something about professional wrestling when it comes to professional wrestlers bleeding, you guys could do it multiple ways. You guys could definitely contact me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. You could definitely leave a voice message on anchor, or you could definitely leave a comment on squared circle podcast.substack.com. Now back to the match. Jungle boy sees that Cody is bleeding. Therefore he attacks Cody's cut right out the gate. Cody manages to do a bicycle kick to Jungle Boy. There is a clothesline to Cody, almost having a near fall. Jungle Boy has a vicious, aggressive side coming out. He's attacking Cody Rhodes' head. There is a dropkick superplex combo to Jungle Boy for a near fall. Both Jungle Boy and Cody Rhodes are fighting at the top of the rope. Below them, it is a table. They both crash through the table. Cody Rhodes is the first person to get up after that fall. He takes Jungle Boy, he throws him into the ring, and then he proceeds to do a crossroads to Jungle Boy. That allows Cody Rhodes to pick up the victory, retaining the TNT Championship title. It is also noted that 
next week on AEW Dynamite, this coming Wednesday, it will be Cody Rhodes versus Mark Quinn for the AEW TNT Championship. Now, Cody Rhodes has this open challenge call for the TNT Championship. I am throwing my good buddy, JD Alpha, the man who has never played WWF No Mercy, into the hat of competitors that Cody Rhodes needs to face for that AEW TNT Championship title. And you might be asking, who is JD Alpha? JD Alpha is an indie professional wrestler. He's been doing it for 10 years. He has been IWA, which is Intense Wrestling Alliance, light heavyweight champion. New Jersey believes in him. New York City believes in him. He is from Bronx Wrestling Federation. He trained under Kurt Hawkins. He trained under many other professional wrestlers. And he has been doing very well in the indie scene. The only problem is that he has not played WF No Mercy. He thinks that it is not that serious to play WWF No Mercy. As far as I know, playing WWF No Mercy is definitely a requirement to be a professional wrestler. If you don't believe me, ask the gamers of the world out there. It's a very important game of our childhood and definitely our wrestling culture. So if you don't think that it's worth it, that's totally fine. Just make sure to bother JD Alpha over on Twitter at TheHolyAlpha and let him know that he needs to play WWF No Mercy and let Cody Rhodes know that he needs to teach JD Alpha a lesson or two about why he needs to play WWF No Mercy and possibly why this might be the biggest match of JD Alpha's career. JD Alpha is also part of Ravage Lands. Ravage Lands is the umbrella of the Square Circle podcast. It is the gaming family show that includes myself, Marie Shadows the host and creator and founder, Ravage Dragon, and also JD Alpha from time to time. We all love professional wrestling, and this is all of our passion, and I hope that JD Alpha can get his open call challenge accepted and that Cody Rose would give him a AEW TNT Championship title match. That would be amazing. And by the way, yes, I am his manager. I go with him to all of his indie shows, record all of his matches, and get all this wonderful wrestling content to you, the fan, via squarecirclepodcast.substack.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all for AEW Dynamite that aired on June 3rd, 2020. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like, to retweet, to comment, all on social media, meaning Twitter, where you can find me at Marie underscore shadows or at squarecirclepod. Or you can leave a voice message on Anchor. Anchor is amazing. Anchor is very seamless and easy to create your own podcast. Therefore, you can leave me a voice message there. I will listen to it. I will play it on the podcast. I'll talk about it. Let's just have a nice conversation. Or if you guys want more wrestling adventures, please make sure to sign up to squaredcirclepodcast.substack.com. It is the newsletter for everything professional wrestling as told to you by Marie Shadows. There are no gimmicks. This is a passion. This is life. This is what I love to do. Professional wrestling is everything to me. And on that note, I'll see you guys in the next episode.